0: Hello everybody and welcome back to yet another episode of the Nailed It Ortho Podcast. My name is Dr. Cole. Myself and Dr. Fitz started this podcast to go over high-yield orthopedic surgery topics, but you are now tuned into our OITE or orthopedic in-training exam review featuring myself and Dr. Spencer Woolwine. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If this is your first time listening, go ahead and hit the subscribe button and follow us on social media at Nailed It Ortho. That'll be Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, So without further ado, let's go ahead and do some more basic science, everybody's favorite subject. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring Doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole.
1: Um, but moving along, I guess we kind of covered a little bit of genetics, but we can get more into like more pure genetics uh, oh, for man. orthopedic stuff. which uh, So like, uh, what is the most common form of dwarfism?
0: So the most common form is going to be achondroplasia. And we've said this many times we'll repeat it many times. It's going to be a defect in the FGFR3 receptor. And the thing with achondroplasia, if you go back a couple episodes when we're talking about cartilage, this actually affects the proliferative zone. So back when we... We're talking about the different um, zones of cartilage, like the resting zone, the proliferative zone, zone of hypertrophy. Um, This is going to be something that affects the proliferative zone achondroplasia. Now, if you have a patient that has achondroplasia, are the arms or legs short or or are they maintained with achondroplasia?
1: So they are uh, short in comparison to the uh, trunk And so that is called rhizomelic dwarfism Um, and it's uh, basically what it means is that the um, humerus tends to be shorter than the forearm and the femur tends to be shorter than the tibia. And it's not as equal like it is in uh, patients without achondroplasia, Um, but they do have a normal trunk. So Um, their, their arms are uh, disproportionate to the rest of their body, but their trunk and head are normal. And they uh, tend to have very various knees, um, which is why you see a lot of them either getting uh, osteotomies, like corrective osteotomies or uh, total knees uh, in the future, because they can have normal lifespan um but their various knees put a lot of stress on that medial compartment necessitating uh, uh arthroblasty um but uh so we talked about where achondroplasia is a disproportionate uh type of dwarfism where the arms and legs are shorter than their uh trunk uh proportions what are some where the dwarfism is more proportionate
0: yeah so this is gonna be things like constitutional dwarfism any of these muco um any of these endocrinopathies um as well as uh, familial dwarfism uh quick quick question uh to see if this even works spencer do you, do you remember any like if uh what Hunter syndrome is Do you remember if that's like the x-link dominant or do you, do you recall our story i know it's a couple minutes later i'm putting you on the spot
1: here so the uh the hunter so it is uh he has a it's an all male recess.
0: Oh, okay. Boom.
1: So, yeah, they're, they're hunting with spears. And so, <laughs> nice. yeah, that is excellent recess. recessive. Nice. Works. So, yeah, <laughs> it, it actually does work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, yeah, so this, this mucopolysaccharidosis, um, that's one of the things where, you know, dwarfism is just going to be proportionate, unlike um, what, you, what you were just explaining with achondroplasia. Um, Now, what are some other FGFR3 dysplasias? Because we talked about achondroplasia, which we know is FGFR3, but are there any others?
1: Uh, There are. I have never heard of one of them, so thank you for educating (laughs) me on that. Uh, But one is uh, hypochondroplasia, which is um, basically just a mild form of achondroplasia. It's not as uh, as obvious, I guess, is a, a, the best way to put it. Um, but it's hypochondroplasia. And then there's uh, thanatophoric dysplasia, um, which is uh, basically they don't have a proliferative zone. And unfortunately, this is typically fatal by two years of age. And it's one that I have actually never come across. So uh, it is... It's, than that dysplasia for those of you who uh, are googling that and um, (laughs) uh, the thing we see uh, or and and honestly it has kind of confused me a lot through residency it still does admittedly is (laughs) all of these proteins and all of these names are just kind of alphabet soup so you'll see like fgfr3 fgf23 growth hormone fibroblast growth factor all this stuff so we know that there's FGFR3 and FGF23. What are the difference between those?
0: Yeah, all this stuff confused me, which is why I want to put this question here because I know other people are confused. But FGFR3 is going to be associated with the dysplasia. It's the one that we just talked about, like achondrodysplasia, hypochondroplasia, uh, and then dysplasia. I'm sure I butchered the pronunciation, but that's what those are with FGFR3. FGF23 that decreases renal reabsorption of phosphate. Um, And that's gonna be a substance that's gonna be produced by osteocytes and osteoblasts. So that's one of the things that we said uh, was upregulated with uh, hypophosphatemic rickets, it was gonna be FGF 23, uh, as well as I I believe some of those like oncogenic um, uh, 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 issues with phosphate, you know, so. Mm -hmm. FGF-23 upregulated, you're going to be excreting more phosphate. So don't get that confused with R3, which is associated with the displaces. Oh, oh the next question, I could have just looked literally one millimeter below <laughs> and saw this. Uh, but in what what condition is a mutation of the FGF-23 inhibitor called?
1: Yeah, as that hypophosphatemic rickets are the P-hex mutation. And uh, it's basically no... FGF 23 inhibition uh, is what causes that. And uh, you briefly kind of described some of this, but um, some of the other conditions that increase uh, FGF 23 um, are things like fibrous dysplasia and uh, tumoral or induced osteomalacia from uh, metastatic lesions are are things that increase that FGF 23. but then on the flip side, what are some of the conditions that decrease
0: FGF-23? Yeah, I wish I would just like not being tunnel vision on that question and literally look <laughs> just a little bit lower <laughs> and saw that actually wrote all this stuff down. Um, so yeah, some of the things that decrease FGF-23, which will uh, lead you to hyperphosphat- hyperphosphatemia because you're not excreting as much of it, uh, that phosphate is going to be familial tumoral calcinosis. Um, again, it's going to be associated with a decreased FGF-23 activity as well as tumoral uh, calcinosis. But the most common um, cause of tumoral calcinosis is going to be kidney failure. So you can't excrete phosphate. Um, so, again, big things to know is familial tumoral calcinosis. I feel like for those, they just show you like an x-ray with a bunch of calcinosis. And then that's how they'll link it to this basic science. And be like, "Oh, is there an increase or a decrease in FGF-23 and we know it's going to be a decrease in, um, in FGF-23 for familial tumoral carcinosis. Now, um, what conditions are caused by a mutation in the cartilage oligomeric matrix protein is sometimes uh, in parentheses, they put COMP or COMP. Gene, uh, instead of fgr Um FGFR3. So again, what conditions are caused by mutation in the cartilage oligomeric matrix protein gene instead of FGFR3?
1: Uh, Yeah, so that will be pseudoachondroplasia. Uh, So a lot of chondroplasias here. Achondroplasia is FGFR3. Hypochondroplasia is FGFR3 but COMP or cartilage oligomeric matrix protein is pseudoachondroplasia, which is also known as thrombospondin-5. And uh, it's a short limb uh, dwarfism, normal face, and they uh, typically have a spine involvement in including C1, C2 in, uh, instability and lordosis. Um, yeah. uh, and then one other uh, sort of skeletal dysplasia, um, caused by uh, short stature, multiple abnormal epiphyses, early arthritis without spine involvement is also known as what?
0: So that's going to be multiple epiphyseal dysplasia. So I think that's one of the things to differentiate between this pseudo achondroplasia versus uh, multiple epiphyseal dysplasia. So multiple epiphyseal dysplasia, again, short stature, multiple abnormal epiphyses, early arthritis, but they do not have spine involvement. So no uh, lordosis, no C1, C2 uh, instability. And and with this multiple epiphyseal dysplasia, you can have a mutation again in that comp gene or the cartilage oligomeric matrix protein gene, which is gonna be the most often gene um, uh, mutated. But you also, of course, you can't just have one, it's orthopedics and genetics and there are multiple different things. So you can also have a mutation in MATN3, which is gonna be matrilin, as well as COL9, which is, type 9 collagen. So big thing to know about multiple epiphyseal dysplasia, they have multiple abnormal uh, epiphyses, early arthritis without spine involvement, and that is going to be the comp gene. The other comp gene is, uh, the other condition with this comp gene mutation is going to be pseudoachondroplasia, and that's where they have short limb dwarfism, normal face, but they have spine involvement, so C1, C2. And we have, um, we've talked about this many times, but again, repetition is a father of learning. We want to hammer this in by the time the end of this episode, we just want everybody to say, oh, call, call one is uh, OI, or, you know, we'd want them to sing what it is. Um, so what are some of the skeletal dysplasias where collagen is affected and what's kind of the gene?
1: Uh, so uh, collagen one or call one A1 is OI, uh, osteogenesis imperfecta. Uh, Collagen 5 is Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, and the gene is COL5 or, yeah, COL5A1 and COL5A2. Um, Spondyloepiphyseal dysplasia, uh, NIST dysplasia, achondrogenesis, Stickler syndrome uh, are all COL2 or type 2 collagen uh, defects. Uh, Call 9 or type 9 collagen defects are multiple epiphyseal dysplasia that we just talked about. It's the one with uh, multiple abnormal epiphyses, short stature, but no spine involvement. And then uh, type 10 collagen or call 10A1 is metaphyseal chondral dysplasia. Uh, A lot of these are low yield, but the ones that are high yield are definitely multiple epiphyseal dysplasia, osteogenesis imperfecta. Ehlers-Danlos, and um, I've seen questions on NIST dysplasia and spondyloepiphyseal dysplasia, and those last Dang. two, spondyloepiphyseal and knee, are uh, type 2 collagen or call 2 uh, genetic defects. Um, and uh, uh, we've talked about this condition uh, a little bit, but what, what sort of condition is noted by joint hypermobility uh, frequently, uh, they'll they'll say, "Oh, I've dislocated my shoulder uh, a ton of times, but I can put it back in." They typically have vascular problems and cutis elastis or very stretchy skin.
0: Yeah, so this is going to be again that Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, and the main one is is that we, this is getting that we just uh, touched base on. It's collagen five, but you know there are other there are some papers out there and things that say you have mutations in collagen one, three, and five for Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Um, so just know that and remember, try not to operate on these patients, uh, especially, you know, prolonged therapy was a big thing that we talked about when we did our shoulder, uh, when we did our shoulder episodes and we're talking about doing hypermobility and, you know, operating on these patients is the last thing you want. You want to do therapy, prolonged therapy, um, if you can. Now, continuing on. uh, One quick
1: pearl. Um, We'll also probably cover this a few other times, but if uh, we either don't or it comes up in later episodes down the road, um, the key thing uh, for these patients, one that either your attendings will pimp on or the OITE will try and get you on, is they'll talk about something called a BITEN score. And a BITEN score is a kind of a test of uh, hypermobility, and uh, I don't know all of the components of it, but it, it includes uh, things like how far back uh, the the can the pinky finger go all the way uh, back and touch uh, back past 90 degrees. Can the thumb flex down towards the forearm? Can they reach both palms on the ground? And it's really just a generalized score of, of hypermobility, and it's very common to have elevated biting scores in these. Uh, Ehlers-Danlos patients, but also other patients, and so uh, a lot of times um, for these very hypermobile patients for these recurrent dislocations, you want to make sure that um, what you're doing to them is not just going to kind of keep resulting in the same problem, so like you said, a lot of times it's therapy, 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 uh, periarticular muscle strengthening, uh, is where they're lacking to help keep those joints located rather than needing a surgery like a capsulography or some other sort of kind of uh, joint volumizing uh, or decreased volumizing procedure uh, for them. But that's just a yeah. side point. So remember the Bighton score. Oh,
0: very good, very good side point. Definitely know the Bighton score. Um, definitely, you know, have a high clinical suspicion when anybody comes into your office, with, you know, those, this type of, a uh, uh, story of you know even just like joint hypermobility uh, but continuing on so what what condition is noted by joint laxity hip protrusio i don't know why i feel like a lot of my attendings love to ask about the hip protrusio with this um, but again what condition is noted by joint laxity hip protrusio a lot of these patients get aortic dissection and ectopic lens which which is superior superior displaced ectopic
1: lens Yeah, that's Marfan syndrome, and how they may test this is they'll show an AP pelvis of the uh, bilateral uh, hip protrusion, and then they'll show a close-up of of an eye, like a photograph of an eye, and they'll show the lens is superior, and uh, if they're nice, they'll just say, hey, what condition do they have? If they're not nice, they'll tell you, hey, what's the uh, genetic uh, defect, and it's fibrillin 1, Uh, so... Um, Just remember those two, fibrillin 1 and Marfan syndrome for that uh, joint laxity, protrusio, ectopic, superior dislocation of the lens, and aortic dissection. And then, uh, so we just talked about the superior lens dislocation. There's another condition with inferior lens dislocation, but they are marfanoid in appearance and they uh, frequently have clotting issues like DVTs and develop PEs. What sort of condition is that?
0: Yeah. So this is going to be homocystinuria. And uh, again, big things to note for differences between this and Marfan's. They have a Marfanoid appearance, but with Marfan syndrome, the big thing with them is going to be like aortic dissection and uh, valve problems versus uh, homocystinuria. Uh, they're going to have the inferior uh, ectopic lens and they're going to have a history of DVTs or PE. So somebody comes in with a history of a bunch of DVTs, PEs, it may be on some type of blood thinner, synchhomocystinuria, if you're thinking these types of disorders. Now, uh, continuing on, what does excess sonic hedgehog expression lead to since we are on this uh, genetics train?
1: Wow, oh, man. <laughs> so this, uh, so sonic hedgehog is involved in um, the kind of embryonic stage limb development, and so if you have Xs uh, Sonic hedgehog expression, you're going to see postaxial polydactyly. Um, but then on the flip side, if you have a lack of Sonic hedgehog, what will you see?
0: Yeah, so this is going to be postaxial hypoplasia. Uh, you know, patients um, also have uh, fibular hemimelia. And I actually had a patient uh, with this when I was on a pediatric rotation um, that, you know, so I mean, like, this is the real stuff, <laughs> real things that happen in real life. And so when you see it, you're like, oh, dang, this stuff in the book is actually real. Uh, but, yeah, so, again, poor SS, S-H-H or sonic hedgehog expression leads the post axial hypoplasia. And when you look at fibular hemi- hemimelia, mm-hmm. the thing is known about them is sometimes they can have a missing fibula. Um, but another thing to know is they have anterior medial tibial bowing which is going to be important because we'll talk about something else that does not have anterior medial tibial bowing and they also have a loss of a lateral uh, lateral foot on, on their x-rays so fibular hemimelia they have a missing fibula they have anterior medial tibial bowing and then the loss of the lateral foot uh, loss, loss of lateral foot rays. so you'll see you'll get an x-ray of the foot and you'll just see kind of those medial foot rays, and then there's nothing laterally. So those are all things that clue you in towards fibular hemimelia, which is associated with poor sonic hedgehog expression. Now, I just touched the base on fibular hemimilia having anterior medial tibial bowing, but what condition can anterior lateral tibial bowing be seen in?
1: Uh, so that is a classic for neurofibromatosis, and they will, you will see this on an OIT in your five years of residency and probably on your boards Um, and the anterolateral, and it's really, um, this was something that kind of, uh, not necessarily confused me, but I always would get um, uh, mixed up when I looked at at an X-ray and I saw a tibial bowing, I'm like, wait, is this medial or lateral bowing? And it's basically um, whichever way the apex of the uh, bow is pointing is the, uh, whether it's lateral or medial bowing. So yeah, uh, lateral bowing, the uh, apex of the bow will uh, be towards the fibula and towards the front. posteromedial bowing, um, which can be, uh, like you talked about, seen with, uh, or you didn't even know, you talked about anterior medial tibial bowing. Posterior medial tibial bowing is physiologic and typically uh, improves with time. It's just due to a, a being packed too tightly in the uterus. But uh, yeah, that wherever the, whichever way the bow points, that's what they mean. Um, and it, it just, it took me a few times of going over x-rays and remembering like, oh yeah, it's not the way the foot points, it's the way the, the bow points. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, this is a, an interesting uh, condition because I've seen a patient with this as well. Um, but what is the condition noted when they have uh, absent clavicles, uh, proportional dwarfism and uh, skull uh, deformities or uh, uh, kind of a lack of, you um, the sutures uh from calcifying in the skull
0: yeah so this is going to be clino dysplasia it's interesting because once you see a picture you, you won't forget you're like oh that's you don't have any clavicles like that is clino dysplasia um so anybody listening to this uh after you stop driving google clino dysplasia and uh, you'll see what we're talking about. But again, just like you said, these patients have absent clavicles, proportional dwarfism, um, skull deformities, sc- different skull you know issues, uh, because these patients have impaired intramembranous ossification. Um, so this is going to be an autosomal dominant disorder, and the gene is going to be one CBFA slash RUNX gene. So uh, if you think of RUNX, that was going to be that's kind of the osteoblast, and so that'll um that will have to that might clue you in towards this is something going on with this intramembranous ossification Now i don't think we uh i don't think we added autosomal dominant to to the story we came with a little bit earlier um we had uh we we had our our guys playing basketball from our autosomal dominant stuff earlier we had a syndactyly uh the marfans the ehlers-danlos syndrome uh, and then we also had, uh, achondroplasia for the short guys with the temper. So we also had believe hyperthermia and multiple hereditary exostosis, just as for, uh, just to run your memory one more time, but also add in their, uh, clientocradial dysplasia this is another autosomal dominant condition. I don't, I don't really have a good way to, <laughs> to add that in. So just, just tack that on there as well, uh. Now, what condition is noted with, and I actually saw a patient with this next one too. So, uh, but anyways, what condition is noted uh, in patients that have like an aplastic or a hypoplastic patella, um, iliac horns, which is really interesting. If you Google iliac horns and t- take a look at those pictures, that'll that'll be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, those are iliac horns, uh, as well <laughs> yeah. as nail problems.
1: Um, so I think that this was uh, named after uh, two very tired uh, physician scientists wanted to go home <laughs> at night and uh, they saw uh, a plastic uh, or hypoplastic patella and nail issues. And so they just called it nail patella syndrome. And the gene involved is LMX1B. Um, I've never seen it. It's one of those where uh, I've, I have read about it through ortho bullets um, or other sort of, uh, kind of questions, but uh, again, just uh, remember Nail Patella Syndrome and LMX1B.
0: Thank you all for listening yet to another episode of the Nail Ortho podcast. Give yourself a pat on the back. You really just made it through all that um, genetics and uh, a good amount of basic science. We are so close to finishing basic science, but we are not done yet. So please tune in again next week. Actually, I think at this point I think we'll try to just release all these rather rather soon because OIT is literally right on the corner and this week so just go ahead and tune into the next episode please tell a friend tell a colleague help them out on their exams too if you are studying or if you are a med student just listening to this just to learn to get prepared for next year that's great tell another uh, medical student about it and follow us on instagram facebook and twitter at Ortho.